Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Why did you want me to talk about Because I pressed the I pressed the record on the cloud and that oh. doesn't let me have two different tracks oh. versus record on the computer. Oh, so I for see. our okay. listeners, I just put on I clicked on the wrong thing and then Shale, she was supposed to start talking and I was like, no, don't talk, don't talk. Which is really funny because this podcast is called I Am Speaking and I'm yelling at my co-host to stop talking. Good thing we're sisters. Otherwise people would think we're weird. So welcome, welcome listeners in the middle. Enjoy, join us in the middle of a conversation <laughs> where we're now gonna talk and introduce our guest this week. Wait, let me sing though. Yes, okay. oh, sing. I speak, I know what I'm saying. I cannot believe you won't let me speak. I speak. Yes, you will let me speak. And you won't speak while I am speaking. Very nice. Very nice indeed. So listeners, today we are sharing with you an episode where we spoke with a male flight attendant named Mike. It was a really cool conversation. He was awesome. He was funny. He was really open about his experiences. Uh, he answered everything. And yeah, it was, I was like, I can see where that job would be really good for him and his personality. Absolutely. I think just even this, the episode that you listeners that you're going to hear today, I think fully encapsulates what we have heard from so many of our guests over this season, which is the things that we think would be hard being, you know, somebody in a profession that has typically been occupied by people of the opposite gender. And you are sort of one of the few people who is in that role, right? Whether you're a female engineer or a male flight attendant, the things that, are, that you think would be hard are not the things that people find hard it's things that you would never think that would be hard are really the challenges, right? And it won't surprise you listeners that there are, compared to women, there are relatively few men entering the field. And so it was like, what was that like? Like a seven to one ratio of women to men, what was that like? And he's like, it was cool, right? Um, which is something I thought would be strange or awkward, was not strange or awkward, but then other things he did talk about was like, oh, I would never have thought about that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Time and time again on the podcast, we're talking about the stuff that is gendered in our 
society and our communities is externally driven. And the fact, you know, you hear it from him, it's like, this person said, why would you want to do that? We heard that from Jason. We heard that from Dawn, that it's not what they feel internally. It's what other people expect or think about a woman in X role or a, a male in Y role or whatever. Um, and you hear this again with Mike, you really do that, you know, he didn't have a problem with being a male flight attendant. And then he got home and the people who were like, why would you want to do that? Or took some convincing or took some, you know, uh, some time to come around to it. Well, let's just, I really hope you enjoy this episode. It was, I mean, Mike has an infectious energy and I hope you will pick up on that, but I hope you will also be able to hear the, the deep, the deep currents of commentary on society that he is providing, even though he's not doing it deliberately, mm-hmm. but they're there. Yes. And I do think at the end of this, you will go, I hope that guy is the lead flight attendant on my next flight. That's how I felt. I was like, yeah, I really too. hope I fly with you. Yeah. He is speaking. Hi, my name is Mike, and I'm a flight attendant. I go by he, him, his, and I am speaking. Hi, Mike. Welcome. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, we're so excited to speak with you. Oh, just wanted to say, hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We're excited Uh, to have you on. Yes. So listeners, uh, Mike is a friend of our cousin, Rishwa, who lives in Connecticut. Mike and Rishwa went to college together, correct? We did, yes. We went to a college, um, at a very small college in Boston, Massachusetts, um, and we got to know each other there, became great friends, and are still in contact. Just uh, went to her wedding last, this year, or last year. I forgot, it's January already. We basically, I had a commitment, and I had already, I constricted her to help me. But our other sister was there, who looks like Like us. her, yeah. So, and had a baby, had the baby. Oh, okay. It was very cute. Yes, it was very fun. You guys missed it. I know, I know. <laughs> it looked so fun. It looked really, really fantastic. Are you from the East Coast? Uh, yes. So I am from a very, very, very small town in northern Massachusetts, um, about 10,000 people in the town. Uh, going to Boston to go to college was just a huge deal. You know, big, didn't really know what to expect. You know, pitch black at the night, in the night. Um, there's no cars, no noise, no anything like that. You can see, see stars for miles and miles. And then you go into the city and all of a sudden there's noise and people walking around at all times of the day. Is it known for something like, do you farm or is it rural? It's, it's just pretty rural. Um, there are farms there, but, um, there is also a very small airport there. They have, uh, parachuters. So I think that's kind of how like that sparked my interest a little bit into becoming a flight attendant. Oh, interesting. Kosh and I are both from Illinois. We both uh, grew up in central Illinois in a small farming town, about the same amount. I think we had 12,000 people. Mm -hmm. But one of the most interesting things about sort of the Midwest versus the East Coast is like things are so far apart here compared to 
the East Coast, right? So the idea of like being able to travel through three states within a, within like two hours is like mind boggling because Illinois is like eight hours from top to bottom. Right. I think the cool thing too was, I mean, we were pretty much the backyard was New Hampshire for me. And then uh, Vermont was probably a 45 minute drive, Maine probably an hour. So it's just, it was crazy to me to move I moved down to North Carolina for the, my job and just to not be able to be in a different state in less than a half an hour was just mind boggling. I'm like, well, oh, this country's pretty big. Yeah. Right. And for us, we're like, it takes three hours to get to Iowa and no one wants to go to Iowa. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I heard. <laughs> we'll just stay here. Yeah. I remember going um, to visit Rishwa when she was in Hartford and it would take me an hour and a half and it's another state away. Like I was on the North <laughs> part of Massachusetts. She was in the middle of uh, Connecticut and it was just like, like you could just have dinner. Exactly. That's so right. cool. That's really cool. So Mike, tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, so I am a flight attendant for a major airline in the U S I mean, there's, there's just a whole lot to go on about being a flight attendant. And how long have you been a flight attendant? So I started in 2013 yeah, one of my friends worked for a different airline. She wanted me to do it. She was like, I think that this would be a really cool job for you. And I had never thought anything of it, really. So I applied for three different airlines and finally landed on the one that I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. So you come from a small school or a small school. You come from a small town. Was there ever a sense of you're like, I need to get out of here? I think the the thing mostly for me was that I was fortunate enough that we took a vacation once a month. Um, I, or I'm sorry, not once a month. Ooh, oh, I was like, crazy. damn. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, we have all sorts of money all of a sudden. But no, we would take, a, uh, my family and I would take a vacation once a year. I was fortunate from where I grew up that we were one of, you know, not everybody got to travel as far as we did and got to see certain things. So it kind of opened me up to what else is out there? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about what it was like to go through the process of becoming a flight attendant. I have no idea what it takes. Like, is there a test? Do you have to do training? Is there school? Like, I have no idea. So you just apply online. They say that it's, it's really, really hard. They, there's a lot of things out there that say it's harder to become a flight attendant than it is to get into Harvard. There are statistics out there, which is just mind boggling to me, too. Uh, So back when I did it, it was a phone interview first. And nowadays it's a video interview because obviously everything's on Zoom. And then after that, they'll invite you to an in-person interview where that took all day. So when I got hired, I got there, I want to say at like 10 a.m. and didn't leave till probably 5 p.m., which was crazy. And it was just big group of about 50 people in there. The first question that they asked was we all, what do, why do you want to be a flight attendant? And everybody went up in order by their name. So my last name starts with an M. So I was in the middle. So you're trying to, you're sitting there trying to think of something that's completely different. That'll make you stand out from everybody, but also in kind of the same realm of why you want to be a flight attendant. So that was kind of tough. And then they broke it down into little or um, smaller groups. And from there, they basically hired you right on the spot. So you knew as you walked out of there, if you did well or not, you didn't have to wait. 
Yes. So oh, they they would um, they would call a bunch of names and then bring you into another room, and you would notice that everybody got either the groups got smaller and smaller, but you didn't really know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. And then finally, by the end, they were like, "Okay, so we're gonna uh, make you guys write an essay now." And we're all like, oh, my goodness, it's five o'clock. Why would you make us do that? And then they just go, oh, just kidding. You guys are all hired. Congratulations. Oh, wow. Oh, that's, wow. Mean. that's mean. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> it, was, it was like probably one of the most rewarding and relieving feelings, honestly. So how many people did how many people started out? In my interview class, there was two groups of 50, so 100 total. And then from that, only, I want to say eight got hired. Wow. Eight percent. Yes. Very selective. And from there, you're, it's just a, it's pretty much just like a congressional hiring. So you still have to go through training, pass everything in training before you mm. actually become right. a flight attendant, before you earn your wings is what they say. So the hire on the spot is basically like, we are willing to let you train to see if you can actually become a flight attendant, right? Like if you don't pass all your training, then like too bad. Exactly. So they're, they're basically saying we're willing to spend money on you because we want you a part of our company. So hopefully you pass this drug test within the next two days and <laughs> join us out in training. Drink a lot of water. If you have done <laughs> right. any, if you smoked anything, drink a lot of water. Yes. yes. Wow. <laughs> and so what is the training like? So the training is six weeks and each airline has a training center normally in their, in their selective bases, like by their corporate centers and stuff like that. I thought going into it that it was just going to be all service, hands-on stuff like, oh, this is how you build a drink cart, all of this. Honestly, completely 180 from that. So it's, I would say 95% focused on safety and security maybe out of that six weeks, probably two days of just like going through the average flight of what happens on a day-to-day basis. No kidding. Oh. So you're spending a ton of time prepping for something you absolutely hope never happens. Yes, absolutely. And most of the time won't happen. Yes. So at, at the airline that I work for, we have six or seven different planes as well. And so each of the planes don't have the same doors, like the emergency exits. So you have to learn all of that stuff as well. So each plane has different doors, has different locations for the fire extinguishers, for the first aid kit. So you have to know exactly where everything is. Shailshee, this reminds me of Dawn. Yeah. Right? Yes, absolutely, so, yes. No, so Shailshee's bestest friend is um, a female engineer and she's for some time worked at Boeing. She was in like safety for the 787 when it was just launching. And that she's like, I got to use the chicken gun or what, what was it called? We called it the chicken gun. I don't remember what it's actually called, but it's like shooting chickens into the fuselage to see if it like like withstand the right the for and bird stuff. strikes or yeah, whatever. Yeah, for bird yeah. strikes. And then she's like, I was transferred to the overhead bin design. And she goes, that's not, that's not where innovation happens, you know? <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't shoot chickens into the overhead bins. <laughs> and then we were like, Ooh, we didn't think about that. And she's like, well, it's like upgrades, like a, an airline can be like, Ooh, we want this overhead bin for this plane. So it's not just 
this standard overhead bin, you can upgrade and get the standard and you get the luxury overhead bins and stuff like that. And it's something like I never would have thought about. There are difference, these like minute differences, you as a flight attendant has to know. Oh, absolutely. Whereas as a passenger, you're like, my job is always the same. Yes, yes. My job is to (laughs) keep my keep my stuff away out of the aisle and under the seat to sit down, wear my seatbelt, do not be disruptive. Oh, I appreciate you as a passenger. You're my favorite (laughs) passenger. (laughs) That is that is literally every passenger's job. Get out of the aisle quickly, put your stuff away, sit down, keep your seatbelt on, don't be disruptive. Don't be an asshole. Oh, please preach that. Please (laughs) preach that. But for someone working, right, it's like you actually have to know all the stuff, which I don't, passengers never have to know. Oh, absolutely. Because your job is to tell us about all that stuff. (laughs) Right. Yep. And then, unfortunately, I have had to use that kind of equipment. And it is mind boggling for people just to be, how the heck did they do that so quickly and efficiently and safely and all of this? But we actually do a yearly requalification training. We go once a year back to our headquarters and it's a two day process for us. And we have to do every single emergency exit again, like we're evacuating the plane and we have to make sure that we do that the exact way that the manual says. And we have to do CPR every year. We can do everything when it comes down to, hopefully it doesn't have to, but unfortunately that's the way it is sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine nowadays, Nowadays, there must be also a lot of passenger management training. You know, how do you restrain somebody? How do you calm someone down? How do you, you know, how do you separate people who are having issues with each other? There must be a good amount of that as well. Yeah, a lot of a lot of conflict resolution right now. That's a nice way of saying... <laughs> Calm the assholes down. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So as you know, a lot of people are on edge because they've been bundled up and they're excited to travel again. And it's a little bit different nowadays than it was right. pre-COVID. It's a, little, it's a little weird to sit down and have to wear a mask. And unfortunately, we have to be the ones to be, come on, guys, like just, just get along for this hour, two-hour flight. It's okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it there, and then you can do whatever you want after that. Yeah. 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 So then after that six weeks, you're just like, they're like, go. And (laughs) do you, right? Do you get a chance to, do you have control of your schedule? Do you be like, I want to fly these areas, but not these areas? Or are they just like, here's where we put you? So the airlines are very seniority-based. So in the beginning, you do what they call reserve. Um, So what reserve is, is basically, you know your days off for the month. And from there, they basically tell you what you're gonna fly. So if you know you're on call, you know you're probably gonna work that day. They call you, you have two hours to get to the airport and you could work one, two, three or four days at a time. And you just have to have your bag ready to go. And it's kind of tough in the beginning for sure. But then the more senior that you get, you can pick those locations. So it's winter right now. Of course, I want to go Florida, Southern California, any place that it's warm and not blizzards up in Chicago. No offense or anything. Love no, Chicago. Done taken. But... <laughs> taken. Actually, I'm super jealous of you right now. So don't worry about it. Yeah. 
it's very, very flexible. And you can pick your days off and how many days off you want. For us, you only have to work 40 hours in a month, which sounds like it's nothing, but our hours and stuff like that is a little bit weird as well. So normally a working day for us is five hours a day, even though we're working for more hours throughout the day, because we only get paid from the time that you push back to the time that you get back to the gate. So even though we're boarding, we're not getting paid for it. Or like a five hour delay. You're not getting paid for that. Yeah, that's what that's what drives me crazy the most. Doesn't matter where the plane is. Like if you push back and you're sitting on the tarmac for two hours, you get paid for that. Yeah, that part's fine. So, <laughs> But if you're sitting at the gate. Yeah, you can yell at me all you want on the tarmac, but as soon as we get to the gate, I'm not getting paid, so I'm just as frustrated as you are. <laughs> mm. Or like if you're sitting at the gate waiting to push back, you're like, yeah, don't yell at me for this shit. This is free time. Right, exactly. And this is cutting into my layover time that I want to sleep on. <laughs> Another aspect of being a flight attendant that would be challenging is you're constantly moving across time zones and, you you know, you're going from the East Coast to the West Coast, which is three time zones and you're there for a day and then you fly back and then maybe you go, uh, do you fly any international routes? Because that's a whole nother set of things. Yep. Yep. We do it all. The, The three hour time difference for me personally, like it took a little bit of time to adjust to be able to you know kind of keep myself in balance on the proper time to try to stay on east coast time so I can fall asleep so I can wake up at a certain time but we also do our international flights so you know we go to London Paris Madrid Barcelona all those places takes about eight nine hours to get there and then you have about a 26 hour layover so you get in you're all excited but you've just been up all night because it's normally a red eye flight over there. So what do you do when you get there? Take like a two hour power nap because you've never been there or you're excited to go back and you go, you see whatever you want to see. And then by the time that you're done, you're just exhausted from that one, two hour nap. So you kind of go back on the time and you're pretty much good to go. So you figure out ways to to do it yourself and figure out your routine because my routine's different from other flight attendants as well. But the whole jet lag thing now, I just, I sleep when I can. Like ER doctors, right? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Or babies. You're like, you know, like, don't, don't wake a sleeping baby. You're like, don't wake a sleeping flight attendant. Right. Let them go. Yeah. I want to take a step back and, and talk about gender dynamics in this whole thing out of the hundred people how many people were men so my training class we had about 36 people in it and only seven of us were male Um, and out of that I think we only lost two people in training so you know even still it's still a big percentage yeah as you were doing your training did you feel any did you was there any weirdness and I'm just putting that however you want to put it The only part that was different for me than it was for all the other males that were there was I was the only straight one that was in my training class. So out of the seven guys that were there, me being the only straight one, that just, you know, kind of put me in a different circle. You know, out of 36 people, only one male, straight male flight attendant is just kind of out of the norm for the job. 
or any other place ever, right? Like in, in, in a restaurant and like, there's no other place really that you would be one of 36 people who's a man and straight. Right, exactly. What did it feel like? You know, was it, or do you remember anything that you're like, oh, that kind of struck me wrong? Or was everyone just like one big happy family? Everybody was kind of one big happy family because the the interview process is so strict that, you know, they're kind of looking for a certain individual to become a flight attendant. So everybody has to have a great personality. They have to be open to everybody that the airline industry is very, very diverse and everybody comes from different backgrounds. So it, you know, just because it was that, it wasn't mean that I was outcast or anything like that or shunned or, you know, whatever. Everybody liked each other. Everybody got along in my class, which was amazing, honestly. Yeah, you're right. That is, I mean, it is pretty amazing that 36 people, of 36 people, there wouldn't be any animosity between anyone, whether they're gay or straight or male or female. It's like, there's- I don't know if I could do that with three people. No, you can't. <laughs> I don't right. think I could. Shalisha you could. can't. I, I was like, actually, you're talking to me. You were telling us about this. And I was like, I should have been a flight attendant. I would have loved this. <laughs> she's like, I have 36 best friends. Like, this is yeah. my life. <laughs> and I'm like, if there are 3.6 people who come up to me today, I'm mad. it wasn't like high school at all where you know you have the clicks or anything like that so you're with each other for eight hours a day for six days a week for six weeks wow for six weeks yeah so you you know you know at some point if you're with somebody for six days somebody's gonna get on your nerves and irk you but honestly I don't think that that ever happened at any point during our training like, I have family that I don't like that much. So that's impressive. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Not you, Rishwa. I love you. Okay. So. <laughs> so your training was kind of idyllic in a way. Oh, absolutely. I just, I remember telling my parents when I got home, hey, I got the job. I'm going to be a flight attendant. And I just remember my mom, why do you want to be a flight attendant? All you're going to do is pass out peanuts and serve Cokes to people. That sounds so boring. And then when I went through training and talked to her all the time and kind of went over, you know, what being a flight attendant actually entails, she was just taken back. She was like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, all this went into it. And then actually when I became a flight attendant and you have the ability to travel all over the place and she saw how happy it made me, that's when she was like, okay, I guess... I guess this is the job for my son and it makes him happy. And I didn't personally think that that could ever happen with this job because I mean, I went to school for engineering, but turns out engineering was not for me. People go work for Ford and GM because they want to build fast cars and they, you know, they don't want to figure out how to expand the trunk space by two inches, but right. that's what engineers do. Yeah. Like not everyone gets to build a GT, you know, Shelby GT Mustang. Right, exactly. And that's that's one always... person got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> His name is Shelby. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Carol Shelby got to do that. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's all that's always like the crazy thing to me is you know, you go to school, you go to high school, you you decide if you want to go to college or you want to do a trade. And that kind of almost determines most people's 
lives. And then at the age of 17 or 18, like way too young in life. Oh, absolutely. And of course, like it's influenced by your parents and stuff like that, too. Because I mean, I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do at 17 years old. Um, But I, yeah, I liked building things and tinkering with things. So my parents are like, oh, you should be an engineer, blah, blah, blah. Turns out now that I'm a flight attendant. And that's, that's honestly how a lot of flight attendants are nowadays. It used to be different, but nowadays, you know, everybody goes to school for something. Most people have degrees and they just didn't like what they're doing or they wanted to branch out and try something new and see the world and what better way to do that than get paid to do it take people there yeah exactly absolutely did you experience any stereotype like sexist stereotyping from your family or your friends or your community and they're like right not inside the industry yeah from from the outside I mean like I said people People always ask me, they're like, why do you want to do this? And especially coming from a small town, I don't know like about you guys, but my friends, you know, didn't really leave New England and that's, they didn't leave a two and a half hour drive. So even going to Boston to the big city and seeing all of that diversity, it was just mind boggling to them. And so they were like, oh, well, why do you want to, why do you want to go to all these different places they're so scary there's people that you don't know blah 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 and I was like well you just have to you just have to experience it for yourself and I always tell people that that you have to experience things to believe what you're gonna believe because people can tell you whatever they want to believe from their experiences but unless you see it for yourself there's no way that you know that they're right or anything like that. So, I mean, I travel on my own quite a bit and every single time I go to a different country or see something different, my mom's always like, oh, I heard that's so dangerous. Just be safe. And I mean, honestly, for me, New York City is just as dangerous as any other place in the world. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And some of the danger is, what kind of situations you put yourself into. I mean, some of it is just, you can't avoid it, right? I don't want to say it's victim blaming, but there is a bit of like, oh, maybe don't go places where there isn't good lighting, right? Or exactly research where you're going or ask for you, you get to ask people for recommendations like, oh, you've been to New York or where should I go or whatever it is, right? Don't go down this dark alley by yourself at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Where should I not (laughs) go? Right. I will say though that, among coworkers, there is a lot of people automatically assuming that I am gay, which is, which was kind of weird for me at first, but, you know, we were talking about the percentages and stuff like that first. That's, that's just kind of how it is in the industry. So I would say probably about 70, maybe even more percent of the males in the industry are gay. So it's just automatically assumed that you are. And that's just kind of how it is. So what's really interesting, we just have, so we have a therapist that we have on every season. She was talking about it, just gender dynamics and stuff like that. And it must be so difficult to be a man in an industry and being assumed that you're gay. Because part of it is like, no, I'm not, I'm not gay. 
Right. And then having to like correct people or, but also being like, it shouldn't matter. Why are we even talking about this? I shouldn't care that you think I'm gay, but you know, being our age, like anything above 30, let's say is like even younger, probably anything above five being called gay is derogatory, right? Like it, it shouldn't be, but it is right having to go like, but I'm not gay, but it's okay. It's okay to be gay. It like, I'm sorry, but a mind fuck. Like, how yeah. do you get your head around that? Did you find difficulty with, with kind of coming to terms with all of that? Um, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a learning curve. The thing is, it's like when I started training, I was single. So that was the hardest part for me is because obviously, you know, you work with your coworkers and that's kind of who you're around my friend groups back home, Massachusetts. So, you know, the dating pool is slim there. They all have, you know, husbands, wives, boyfriend, girlfriend, all of that stuff. So when you come into this job and people automatically assume that you're, you're gay, you know, it, it's hard for me to gauge, like, are they actually interested in me? All of that stuff. And then the other part is, you know, I, people can assume whatever they want for me. That is what they want to believe. If they ask me, I'll absolutely tell them. But at the same time, you know, somebody's sexuality, unless they're attracted to you or interested in you, doesn't really affect who you are. You know, I'm still going to be the same person who I am, whether you believe that I'm gay or whether you believe that I'm straight. And that's not, that's not going to change me. That's a really good point, right? Because I think certainly in our generation, you know, I'm 45, almost 46. So there is, it is an insult. I think as people have come out more and more and, you know, it's like, who did I see recently, find out recently that was gay? And I was like, oh, I had no idea, right? Calpen. Well, Calpen, yes. He wasn't, also wasn't like, I'm gay. Also, I will say you were upset about that because part of you thought, you would end up with Kel Penn. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Well, she is 100% married. She is married. Yes. Happily two married. Kids. Yes. Two kids. She really thought that maybe Kel Penn would come to her one day. Yeah. <laughs> He's Kutrapi. Yes, I know. I know. I and know. so are we. And <laughs> Ma- mom and dad would be really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like but he is and i am he would have found me it just makes sense so it just makes sense I, uh, <laughs> my point being it's not just that he's Gujarati, but like he's like the only Gujarati guy i would i've been interested in so i'm interested in this indian guy who happens to be Gujarati, and it would mom and dad would be so impressed <laughs> do you like that the bottom line is like my parents would be impressed not even happy or that i would be happy that they would be impressed <laughs> my husband doesn't listen to this podcast so. oh good 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 that's probably for the better <laughs> so wow okay now i'm all this i'm all like off track so no but you're absolutely right that like the further we've gotten out from like oh my god being gay or straight or whatever has become sort of this like defining characteristic of a person's personality or you know who they are right their essence it it doesn't matter unless both people are interested in each other or one person's interested in the other and then you're like yes or no but otherwise it's like whatever 
I think we have also gotten as a society, I'm not saying everyone, but as a society, we've also gotten better at being like, I don't really need to ask that question. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, you're around the same age I am and growing up in high school and middle school and stuff like that, nobody would come out. Nobody, Mm -hmm. you know, even thought to even say anything about that because they didn't want to be shunned. And nowadays everybody made so many strides to make it just acceptable. And that's such a giant leap forward from where we were as a society before. And this isn't everybody, obviously, because there's still other people out there. But, you know, where we were before to where we are now that it's just, it's just accepted. And that's just who you are. You should be able to love who you love. And nobody should think different of you. And they should still allow you to do your job, right? Like, it's, it's not, oh, are you gay? So it's cool for you to be a flight attendant if you're a man. Like, why is that even coming up in conversation? Right, yeah. exactly. The issue that I have is the assumption because who you love or who you want to make out with has nothing to do with your ability to do that job. Oh, absolutely. Does it just, has it just stopped bothering you, the assumption? Or do fewer people assume? It's definitely still there. Um, it doesn't really bother me at all, honestly. Uh, I, I'm very comfortable with who I am. I know that people will majority of the time assume that I am, but it doesn't, it doesn't change my way that I am at work. It doesn't change how professional I am at work. It doesn't change anything. It's just, it's honestly just come to become a norm that, you know, everybody says at work, you're, you're gay until you're proven straight, which is honestly what it is and Uh but again like you were saying before it shouldn't it shouldn't matter what does that mean do i have to like have sex with a woman like (laughs) on the tarmac yes like how do i prove myself straight (laughs) right exactly um here i'm looking at porn (laughs) i just on my layover like showing it like showing it to people like hey i'm looking at ladies like what (laughs) and then wear it on a shirt or something like that so nobody else assumes anymore (laughs) well you'd have to do it over and over and over again you're not like proving it proving it you're not working with the same people and you're not you know there are new people coming in and people who are leaving so you'd have to just like continually it's not just like a one and done thing where you're like well i proved it once and like where it's gonna get around like no right exactly i'm gonna have to write it all over the bathroom walls and put my phone number on there and all that stuff on the girl side not on the boy right, right, right. right exactly that's one piece of like how how sexism can show up which is people are like make a bunch of assumptions about you or people from the outside are like why would you do that that's you know that's not a man's job or a woman's job or like that's you know like really basically like kind of down downplaying the path you've taken right but what we've heard from from some people and our, our therapist, our resident therapist talked about this is like, like being a flight attendant, very few men go into social work. You know, the numbers are very similar. You've got 20 women and one man and the assumption isn't necessarily that they're gay, but they get hit on a lot. So there are two things that happen, right? And it's one of them is a little bit less, less relevant for you because you got to deal with everybody. You know, she was saying that male therapists tend to get the male 
clients because it's like, oh, just take this person, take this person. You'll connect with them instead of it, there being a can, that can happen instead of there being a more thoughtful approach to matching therapists with clients. Mm -hmm. That's probably not something that you deal with very much because you're like, well, everyone on this plane is my client right now. Well, so honestly, yes and no. So, you know, if, if there's mothers on board with young children or something like that, then the first person that they will talk to, if they have to use the bathroom or something like that, will automatically be a female flight attendant. And I mean, that kind of is because, you know, women are mothers, can be mothers, and they're approachable and they tend to care more or people assume that they care more than than the males. So they will automatically go to them and be like, hey, can you hold my child for a second? Or can you watch them while I just run to the bathroom real quick? And so you, you do kind of find that. So this, I like this. We're coming with certain assumptions too, and you're dispelling our assumptions. We're like, no, no, you actually do deal with these isms also, and this is how they manifest. Yeah. Yeah. When I turn on the call button, I want some water or something. I just think about the person who's like going to show up. But if I'm looking for someone, yeah, maybe I would, if I had my daughter with me, maybe I would have asked a woman instead of a man. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe those are those like ingrained stereotypes. that we Right. Have, absolutely. Right? And the other kind of thing too, that's speaking along the stereotype thing is a lot of my crews will ask me to make the announcements on the PA. And the reason that they will do that is because they want people to listen. And generally pilots are males. So people listen when a male's talking because they think the pilot's talking, they think something important's going on. So a lot of my coworkers will be like, hey, do you mind doing this announcement or you know, saying something like this so people will listen? And honestly, it, it is. It works. It works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, you say that and then like on one hand, I'm like, oh, and on the other hand, I'm like, oh, that totally makes sense. We spoke with a male nurse a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things we heard is like, people are creeped out, a little creeped out, not in like a running away way, but they're like suspicious of a man who would want to go work on the OB floor, the gut, you know, the delivery floor. And I was like, that's a, like the best place to work. Babies are cute. <laughs> right. Like why, who wouldn't want to go like help babies. Right. Um, but they're always like, that's weird. People are weirded out by that. And we're hearing that echo with you saying like, oh, people are a, a little reluctant to have a man watch their kid while they go to the restroom. Right. Because we are suspicious as a society of a man who would want to take care of a kid. Right. The other thing we heard from him is that as a nurse, he sees his female peers being dismissed or sort of looked down upon. Mistreated. Mistreated, not listened to in a way that he never has to deal with. And that's also, I think, what we're hearing a bit from you is like, hey, when I make the announcements on the PA, people listen because either they think I'm a pilot or I'm a guy and I'm saying something and there's a bit of authority, like, oh my God, I need to pay attention. To yeah, this. absolutely. And you can see that in the cabin as well. So if there's ever a dispute or somebody's not listening or somebody's just being a pain in the ass and a female coworker is trying to take care of this situation and you know they just feel like they can't get it resolved, then they'll usually find a male 
because they feel like they're more authoritative. And that's just kind of the, the stereotype that men give off is don't fuck with us, honestly. <laughs> have you have you had to step in like a passenger or somebody is mistreating or harassing one of your female counterparts? Have you had to step in? Absolutely. And that wouldn't necessarily go just with uh, a female coworker because I've done that for males as well, because we, we've been taught, you know, sometimes it's just an extra person that you need to resolve the conflict, to listen to both sides of the story and just to calm everybody's nerves before we can, you know, continue the flight or push back from the gate and not kick somebody off the plane. For the most part, it's definitely you come into a situation as a male and automatically get assumed that this is it. This is, this, this, this is the final word. There's no more arguing. Otherwise, you're done. Where in reality, the, my female coworkers have just as much authority as I do. I have no extra training. I have no more authority than they do. But it's just assumed that since they're female, I can talk back to them. I can be that Karen and get whatever I want. They're pushovers, whereas when I come in, it's just no, no means no. That's it. Do you see that with male and female passengers or one more than the other? Um, definitely with both. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say that it's one gender or the other. But I always tell my my crews because we do a briefing. So honestly, it's it's pretty crazy that I've been doing this for since 2013, long time now, and I still meet new people every single trip. So even the the crew that I'm working with right now, I've never met any of them in my life. And the first time that we ever speak is we get to the plane a half an hour before boarding and we introduce each other and we get to say different things. And I I like to work up front and be the, the lead flight attendant. I like to bring a calm demeanor to work and make sure that everything's calm and okay. And one of my main talking points in that briefing is I want everybody to feel comfortable. So if they're in a situation where they feel like something can't be resolved, and this goes for male and female coworkers, then I'm more than happy to step in for them and be kind of that that talking person because nobody should really get abused at work and spoken to poorly or I mean, you've seen the YouTube videos, people get hit, people get spit at, all of that stuff. And I never wanted to get to that point. So if anybody's ever feeling like it's going to get there or it could get there even, I always tell them to come up to me and I'm more than happy to talk to somebody about that. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that being a flight attendant would be like a physically dangerous job? It's, it's crazy. I mean, we do... In our training, we do ways to protect ourselves. So we have like that, if somebody comes up to us and they're looking like they're going to fight, then we have defensive moves that we do, I guess you would call it. TSA actually has a class for flight attendants that's a self-defense class. You know, unfortunately, times have come to this where there are crazy people on the plane and in order to protect yourself, you got to do some stuff. It's not just like you're going to sit there and take it while somebody just raging out of control and is beating the crap out of you, you know? 
you know, when you put it that way, I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Uh, you're also in like a middle two and it's a cl- like, you can't get off, right? So that, that makes people anxious and people do things out of anxiety sometimes. You know, more, we're seeing it more and more now because of cell phone videos mm-hmm. that, that people are able to capture what is happening and share it that we didn't see before. That I'm sure, you know, when you say this, I'm like, oh, this has probably been happening forever. It's gotten to this level where it's like, sometimes you're like, not sure if you're going to get on a plane and everything's going to be fine or not. Oh, absolutely. And I've, and I've also seen, I've seen people get thrown off of planes. I mean, it hasn't happened a ton, but I've seen someone kicked off a plane for being like drunk and belligerent, right? And he was like a happy belligerent person. He wasn't being mean or abusive. He was screaming about the Dallas Cowboys or something. He was just screaming and being loud. And they escorted that asshole off, or they escorted that man, person. that person. He wasn't being an asshole. He was just being loud. He was just being loud and drunk <laughs> at nine o'clock in the morning and very uh, fanatic about the Dallas Cowboys. But I see these videos now and I'm like, why did you wait so long to duct tape that guy? <laughs> see, <laughs> this flight attendant got uh, suspended for duct taping that guy to the seat. I'm like, you're in a metal tube on, on a nine hour flight in the middle of the ocean. Like, what are you going to do? This guy is being abusive. Right. It, it, it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. It surprises me. But then when I think about it, it's not a surprise that 90% of your training is safety. Yeah. Because who cares how many peanuts you get when you're really talking about like people going like needing to be restrained and stuff like that right and well you say that but also the i did have a people get real mad about the peanuts they they do sometimes you're having like a medical situation and you're in the middle of it you know and then some you get a tap on your shoulder and they're like can i get a coke and i'm like do you not see what i'm doing right now you're okay with not having a coke right now just just give me two seconds please yeah here's an idea for the industry (laughs) <laughs> as as, uh, as passengers get more and more belligerent. So if you're, I didn't know this, but cruise ships have like a cruise jail, basically. That if you're like a problematic cruise ship passenger, there's like a part of the ship where it's like, you're in jail. I, I kind of like that idea. I don't know. You might want to patent that before you say it. And I think there should be like an area of the plane where you're just like, now you're in the plane jail. Mike, is there a plane jail? Blink twice if there's a plane jail. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, there's not. <laughs> there can't be because you can't put them in the the, the ba- luggage compartments because people freeze to death, right? It's so cold down there. And then you see, I mean, people know what's going on with the plane. Like you see the back of the plane oh, and you see the front of the plane. Do you ever see the movie Con Air? Right. And they have a that was a that was a jail that was a plane. So you just need to borrow a couple that like one or two of those jail cells and stick them in the back of the plane and there you go i like it okay so i'm gonna edit this out and we're gonna patent this idea. <laughs> and then right. we're gonna have dawn who is shilashi's friend who is an engineer we're gonna bring her in and we're gonna figure this out i love it right yeah absolutely love it well and actually it shouldn't be at the back it should be like kind of in the front so people can be like oh to be in that plane jail that is what happens to you assholes if you get a belligerent asshole yeah it, you definitely have to be like People need to see that this is a consequence. Yeah, and then we sell rotten tomatoes too that you can throw at them. Totally get it. No, 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 no. No, because then you all would have to clean it up afterwards and that. But it would be worth it. (laughs) 
part of the punishment is when we land, the prisoners of the plane jail have to clean that shit up. Love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would deter a lot of people, I bet, from being promised. So coming back to an actual actual set of conversations, <laughs> not some sort of fantastical to them conversations. So we talked about like what happens when passengers are physically assaulting or harassing flight attendants and everyone gets involved in that. Male, men and women all sort of have to deal with that. Um, although, although there is, you know, so like you were saying, there's a level of authority that men project or are perceived to have. Maybe it's not even projecting, right? But it's really about perception that helps male flight attendants sort of calm things down in a way that maybe women can't. Part of that story is like sexual harassment, right? And we know from whatever set of stories that female flight attendants are constantly sexually harassed. They experience a lot of sexual harassment. As a man, have you experienced that from either guys who think that you're gay or women who are looking to hook up? Uh, I have actually from, from both genders as well. So I've been given numbers. People have given me their numbers both male and female. I had one lady one time say, hold on right right there for one second. I just want to take a picture of your ass because it looks so good and I want to show my friends. And I was like, excuse me? Whoa. Yeah. I'm like, do you talk to everybody that way? It's crazy. And what's so hard, I mean, so hard for me to wrap my head around, but it's not. If the genders were reversed there, You'd be looking, people, someone would be looking at a lawsuit. Oh, absolutely. You can absolutely not say that to a woman. Hold on right there. I want to take a picture of her ass. Correct. Absolutely. That was crazy. It was just, it was absolutely mind boggling to me. And I just, I stopped and froze. And I was just like, what, what do I say to that? You know, and there's really, there's really nothing to say. It's just, you probably shouldn't say that and walk away. Right. And I guess right. that is kind of like a, a male thing is to just walk away from that. But I can totally understand as a female, if you want to, I mean, you, you probably get that 10 times more than I do. And I see it in the air as well. A lot of passengers will hit on the female flight crew. And I mean, that kind of stems back from the heyday of flying where all the women were glamorized, their models are going all these lavish places they used to have to be single. They used to have to weigh a certain amount. They used to have to be a certain height, all of that stuff. So, you know, people still have it ingrained in their memories that, you know, this is such a lavish job. Like, I just want to fantasize about being with this model flight attendant back in the day. It was stewardess. It was not even a gender neutral term, really. So yeah, it was, absolutely. it was crazy. When fly, like commercial flying first started, was it even stewardess or was it air hostess? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I know that that males were a part of the flight crew um, first, and then it went more towards the, the male CEOs and stuff like that wanted females because most of, the, most of the people flying were businessmen, so they wanted to appeal to them. And they thought that when they got on the plane, they should be allowed to look at pretty women instead of just men because that's who their clientele were. That was pretty much who was flying on the planes at the time. And that's who they wanted to cater to. And so I think that's kind of how the, the female 
got portrayed as a flight attendant in the beginning because that's who was flying. And then plane tickets became more affordable for everybody. And you had to have pretty much everybody because you catered to everybody at that point. So it's not just a sexualized job anymore. And that's when they coined the term flight attendant. So it wasn't just a stewardess or a steward anymore. It's a gender neutral thing because anybody can be one now. Yeah, it, there definitely seemed to be, you know, the very beginnings of air travel. You're right. It was like very expensive, but there was also like a madman vibe that seemed to be given off. Like, yeah, we're going to, you can sit down here and smoke on the plane and have a glass of whiskey and have this pretty girl sit on your lap. Like not, I'm not sure if that ex- actually was like proposed as part of the package, but that's feels like when you see even drawings of those, you know, that like fly blah, blah. And it's like, like that's a vibe it gives off, which is like, this is a 50, 50s cocktail party in like a gentleman's club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, not necessarily in North America or anything like that, but you still look at other like Middle Eastern or Asian carriers right now. And you, you see Emirates or Qatar Airlines. Do you see any males in their advertisements at all? Nope. No, it's still sexualized over there, which is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that the last time I flew uh, over, to, went to India, it was all women. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that begs the question a bit. Is it that this is a gendered profession or is it that, I mean, it is a gendered profession in other parts of the world, right? But the question is, is it because the airlines are trying to entice their passengers or is it just that like guys don't do this you know right like because women have been doing it for so long it's not necessarily about the look and like the attractiveness and the enticement but more just like this is not something that men do so don't or like what's what's the chicken and what's the egg right yes where did it start as a gendered like we're trying to entice men to, or they were, you know, these businessmen are the ones who are flying. Because even if you look at the garb, it's like you have to wear heels and a pencil skirt and a, and a, like this almost like a sexy, sexy secretary thing. Right. Yeah. And, and people used to dress to fly. Yes, absolutely. They would, they would wear suits and dresses and stuff to fly. And a lot of it, like to your point, Mike, was the fact that people were you know, these businessmen were flying. And so women had to dress that part. And now, I mean, it's crazy because you see women in the, like a lot of the outfits, the uniforms, that's the word. I was going to say costume. And I was like, that's not the right <laughs> word. The uniforms have changed and now they're wearing pantsuits and stuff, but they still are wearing heels. Like it's still these, these remnants of that old world, but it's like, they were clearly dressing for the male gaze oh absolutely yeah and so did that come first and then suddenly it became like this is this is a gendered profession it wasn't because only women did it but only women were hired because they were doing it for their male passengers right yeah and that's kind of something that's that's something to look at and think about because nowadays you think about it you know we're getting to a point where men can wear makeup now at work. Men can wear anything that women can wear. It's just however they want to identify as. And, you know, five, six years ago, that would have never been the case. 
So that's kind of cool to look at going forward. Like we used to never be able to wear earrings. Now you can wear earrings. If you want to wear nail polish, you can wear nail polish. Obviously it has to be a certain color, but if that's what's going to make you feel comfortable at work, then that's what you're going to do. Our airline took away that you don't have to wear heels anymore, which is crazy because so many women fought and they're like, well, why is my male counterpart able to wear dress shoes and not heels? And why, why do I have to wear a skirt and not pants? So also 10 hours in an airplane going to Rome or something in heels. Nobody thinks that's comfortable. No, absolutely not. (laughs) Does your airline have a dress code that's flexible? So do you have like, here are the four uniforms you can wear, or I've heard of other airlines just like, this is the general outfit that you have to put together and you can choose from all of these different options. This is like the color palette that you have to buy. Right, right. So, so we have um, a uniform guidelines, looks, everything like that. For, for males, we have two different shirts that we can wear. And then we have to wear dress pants and either a blazer or a vest. Females, they have the option now of wearing skirts, dresses, pantsuits, like you said. So it's getting better and you can wear whatever you're comfortable with. You don't necessarily have to specifically wear a skirt on this day. Or if you're traveling internationally, you have to wear a dress or anything like that. It's, it's however comfortable you are. And that can change from day to day. So a lot of people will pack multiple uniforms for a two or three day trip just so they can change it up. I mean, that's, that is, it sounds weird to say like that's progressive because it's almost like it always should have been like that, but at the same time, it is progressive. Because it has not always been like that. That is progressive. (laughs) Absolutely. How about internationally? Because you were talking about international work and having these, you know, 26 or 48 hour layovers. Mm Have you seen a difference in how you're treated internationally as a, as a male versus some of your female counterparts? It, it kind of depends. So, you know, the, the international trips are the more senior trips because they're more lucrative. You know, everybody wants to go and, you know, fly Paris once a week or fly to England once a week. So, right. It's both, it's both more lucrative, but also like you get to go to a cool place. Right. More interesting. Yeah. I'm not just going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yeah. That's probably even one of the more interesting places to go. Right. Or were you saying, (laughs) were you saying like Des Moines, Iowa? Great. (laughs) Love that. Right. You know, you kind of get treated when you're doing those trips as people are paying more money to go on those trips. So you have to kind of dress to the nines. You want to dress to impress. And then you get overseas and you see all these international carriers that, you know, their uniform standards are super, are super, super strict. And they are well put together. Their hair is always up tight as it can be in a bun. And our uniform guidelines are a little bit looser. So it's kind of a a weird thing that you want to be more impressive because you're getting these lucrative trips and you want to fit in and say, this is why you're here. I'm meant to be here. So it's not so much a gender thing, it's a competition thing. Oh, absolutely. Because there's there's a lot of people that like, that is 
going international is the ultimate prize at the end of the line. And sometimes you'll get it because some people will call in sick or do anything like that. So you'll get the trip and you just want to impress everybody and be like, I can do this. So they'll call me next time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it also sounds like there's a bit of, you know, on the other end, there's a bit of like national pride type thing, which is like, oh, we were a U.S. based carrier and we got our ass together just as much as you all do, even though you're wearing the makeup and the hair and the, the, you know, the outfit is just perfect. Like we're still like locking it down tight. Like we still have our act together. Going back to the Middle East carriers, they still hire on contracts. So you're not in a union over there. You're not hired until you either get fired or you retire or quit or do anything. You're there for a set amount of years in your contract. And then once that's up, they can either extend your contract or they can just fire you out of the blue. So they're over there dressing to impress the company and their passengers so they'll get to keep their job. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas for us, it's like you said, kind of like a, a national pride, like, oh, we're, we're anywhere from in our 20s all the way up until we have flight attendants in our 80s that are working for us. So we want to be put together. We look like a, we know what we're doing, no matter what age, no matter what body type, no matter what gender. You had talked about how seniority plays a part here. So we're going to see more women doing some of these like overnight international flights because they're more senior. Mm -hmm. At what point do you see this turning? Like at what point did men start really coming into the industry? Gosh, um, honestly, I mean, there's definitely still, there's still way more women in this job than there are male flight attendants. But I will say probably maybe around 2011. So everybody stopped hiring after 9-11. And there was a huge downtime because obviously people weren't flying, people lost their jobs, were furloughed, all of that stuff. So all the major airlines started picking back up around 2011. And that's when you started seeing more and more males become interested in the job because it was such a long time frame of when airlines were last hiring to when they were now. And I mean, from 9-11 till 2011 was a long period of time. America got more progressive. You know, we had airlines like Hooters Air back in the day where. I forgot about that. I do not remember that. Yeah. I mean, they didn't stay, they didn't stay around for too long. Um, But obviously. (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) I wonder why. But that was. There was a market though. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, you saw that back in the day. And obviously you're sexualizing women at that point. So, you know, once everybody started becoming, you know, more open about everybody's able to do whatever they want, I think more people became comfortable with the idea of males being okay to be flight attendants again. What do you see as the, the future for, for your profession? Do you think more and more men will come in. So over time we'll see more balance or, I mean, cause the other thing I think about is like, 
it's very, it must be very challenging for women who tend to be the primary caregiver of their children. Not always the case, right? But how do you balance that bit of it too? Like you're gone for four days and then there's a sort of gender dynamic on the other end too, that not to say that you in particular, but a lot of men don't deal with. Right. So a lot of that is stereotyped with the profession where, you know, oh, they're going all these places. They have the opportunity to cheat or to sleep around or to, you know, you have multiple hookups in all of these countries or all of these cities that you travel to where, you know, when you start a relationship and with somebody that's not in the industry, it's very, very difficult to kind of explain, you know, what you do, why you're gone for times. That trust bit, that trust bit is even a longer game. Right. Absolutely. And that's where I was kind of going with it is you have to start with trust. And if you can't do that, then unfortunately in this industry, I, I call it a lifestyle, honestly, in this lifestyle, you can't be in a relationship with somebody if you can't trust them right away. And that's a completely hard thing for somebody to, to think about right in the beginning, because, you know, you don't know this person, you're getting to know them. How are you supposed to trust that they're not doing something on a layover that, you know, is stereotypical with the, the industry? Well, and I will say like, media is not very good about that either because like if you look at what's that new the flight attendant isn't it the name of the show yeah with kaylee cool yeah. and i the whole premise is that she is she drinks a lot right she's a party girl who then hooks up with all these people when she's in bangkok and when she's in india and when she's in china like that's the premise of it and then the one man in that show is super flamboyantly gay yeah. And it, or the flight attendant, her friend. So it's like, you're also at a point where you're fighting stereotypes with media. Oh, absolutely. And that was that show, what was that? Uh, LA, to, uh, LA to Vegas, I think it was. I don't know if you remember that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like one season. It was like here and gone. Yeah, yeah one or two seasons. And that was the thing. It was like the woman was looking for a partner or somebody that had a lot of money. And then she had a male flight attendant who was her best friend and he was flamboyantly gay as well. So again, the media portraying the industry, just reflecting these things that are so stereotypical. Right. And that's when it kind of comes back to, you know, everybody always says you're gay until proven straight. Well, why do they keep saying that? Well, there's no, Uh there's no real reason for them not to believe that because of what the media is telling them because of what, is actually going on in the industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what do you see as sort of the the trends going forward? Do you think, like I said, do you think more men will join and uh, the the profession? Do you think it'll kind of stay where it is? Do you think, you know, even even when it comes to like uniforms and stuff? Yeah, I'm honestly hoping that more men will join. I think that social media and stuff like that will help encourage people to want to become flight attendants to learn more about the jobs because like I said when I first started I had no idea what it was to become a flight attendant sure my friend was one and I asked her a bunch of questions before but without me thinking of it I would have never known what it was and that's when you know everybody's like oh all you do is pass out peanuts and hand out cokes well 
no, a lot more goes into it. And you do get to see the world and you do get to travel. And if that's something that you're into, then everybody should be able to experience it. So it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that more females should do it. I kind of see it balancing out at some point. We'll see down the road. There's a service element to it too. Like I, I actually, uh, this is the third time I'm going back to the fact that 90% of your training came from, or what was about safety. And I think that we don't think enough about the fact that um, it's scary, right? Like what we're doing when we get on an airplane is being like, here's my life. I'm going to put it to this pilot and this bunch of people who are giving me peanuts. But when shit hits the fan, I'm going to trust them with my life and the life of my family. There is a true service element to what you do that I do not think people think about. Oh, absolutely. But that's, that's also what we strive to do. We, we hope not to have those situations and we want you to be calm. We want you to be relaxed on the plane, but when shit hits the fan, like you said, we're ready to go and we want to impress. So that's why we have to go through 90% of that training and safety and yeah. security and stuff like that. Because when it comes down to it, we have to act right away because it, it's sometimes life and death. And if, you know, we're not, if we're not ready to go, every second counts really. Our father and brother are physicians. Mm-hmm. Shilshi, do you remember when we were going to India and they asked for, our dad is a urologist, <laughs> a urologist. Mm-hmm. So he's like, he can help you pee and he can help you have sex. Like those are the two. He's very important. <laughs> those are very important Absolutely. Things. Right. But on an airplane, not as important. So yeah. there was oh, one yeah. time our dad was sitting in between Shailashi and I, we have a medical emergency. Is there a doctor on the plane? And our dad didn't raise his hand. <laughs> We're like dad so she was like dad raise your hand you're a doctor right and he was like i promise you that they don't have a urological emergency <laughs> i promise you that you know more about what's going on than anyone else on this plane dad. yes 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 absolutely he did raise his hand and there ended up being like we we're going to india so there were like 12 people on the plane who were doctors yeah right right the truth behind the humor is that there is liability when it comes to safety on the plane that you're taking on that is so much bigger than people are willing usually like that's not what usually you do like you're not taking on the liability of like 200 people on an when you go to your job oh absolutely right their lives and i i think like your job is just not appreciated as much as Oh, thank, thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, the, the crazy thing is, is I never thought when I accepted this job that I would have to perform CPR on somebody. And unfortunately, I did. Would never think in a million years that that was going to come to fruition. But there was four flight attendants on the plane and we automatically did exactly what we were supposed to do to save that person's life. And it was very reassuring too because there was you know a medical professional on board that they came up halfway through CPR and we're like we're like what do we do you know we're just we're just flight attendants and they they were like you're honestly doing everything that we would be doing right now and then they asked you for a diet coke 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they said, um, they said, so do you think we're going to make our connection? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, Dr. Smith, sit your ass down. I will get to you in a minute. Right. <laughs> Unless you want to take over. <laughs> Out of other curiosity, have you ever had to deal with the woman going into labor? Uh, I have not had to deal with that. I'm just curious about that. He's like knocking. It's like, don't jinx yeah, me. Please, <laughs> please. Um, I've had to deal with a lot more medical emergencies than I thought I would have to dealt with at this point. The most that we see is dehydration. So, you know, you're going so high in the air, you're drinking before in the airport because you're excited to go on a trip and then you're not drinking water with it. Well, you know, it's the same thing when you're drinking at altitude where you have one drink and it's really like two drinks. Your body's not used to that. So you just get dehydrated and people just pass out. Yeah. Interesting. I would never have thought about that. But of course, you know, I don't drink a lot when I'm on planes. But I, I also bitch <laughs> when like my feet hurt because my shoes are too tight at the end of an airplane or like rings don't fit. Mm-hmm. I bitch about being bloated and stuff because traveling does do that. But I don't think about like, oh, I just didn't drink. So I never I never thought about that either. But I actually cut soda out of my life like six years ago because I was doing that same thing where after work, my feet were swollen, my hands were swollen. I'm like, what the heck is that all about? And it turns out it was all the sugar that I was drinking from soda. And so that was probably like the greatest thing that ever happened. So now I drink a ton of water during the day, before flights, after flights, and I don't swell up anymore. So maybe no soda. (laughs) Okay. You know what, Mike, you can... Sorry. I mean, that's not really good for my job because I don't know what to give you anymore if it's not a can of soda, but... Well, I was going to say, I mean, COVID's also put another layer of... Layer onto this, which is like, there's people are reluctant to drink water on a flight and people are reluctant to get up and use the restroom right. um, because because they don't want to expose themselves more, you know, to the air more than they need to and to other passengers. We just traveled, I think the flight was four and a half, five hours. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to drink anything before I get on the flight. I'm not really going to drink anything while I'm on the flight. So when I land, I have to drink like twice as much like water because I don't want to use the restroom if I don't have to. And I don't want to keep exposing myself to the air while I'm drinking whatever I'm drinking on the flight. So I, I imagine that it's like complicating things even a little further. Oh, absolutely. So now you're dealing with panic attacks, seizures, dehydration, and assholeism. Yes, absolutely. All of the above. Damn. <laughs> that one has come out in droves. Yes, it has. So this is a penultimate question of our interview. And I think this is a great lead-in because you people have this image of like, you just hang out on the plane and then you push the cart through and you ask people what they want. And your biggest problem might be that you mess up the Coke and Diet Coke order. Oh, sorry. No, it's the wrong place, right? Mm-hmm. But it's clearly that's nowhere near close to the biggest problem. It's all safety, security, and people management. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who is looking to enter this profession, especially if they are a straight man, you know, sort of really a very small percentage of anyone who's in the industry, who's in this profession. Right. I would definitely say, don't get discouraged. You know, the stereotypes may be out there. You're for sure going to be called something different. People are going to assume different things, but it's all of how you perceive yourself. 
and you can be whoever you want to be. And as long as you're doing the job professionally, then you're going to absolutely love it. You're going to be able to see places that you've never even thought that you've seen before. It's going to make the world so much smaller. And I've just, I would have never thought in a million years growing up that I would have been able to see as much of the world as I have experience as much of the world as I have and just met new people all because of what I do. I like that because most people work, 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 and then they save up money so they can travel. Right. And what you're doing is traveling within your work. And I think a lot of people don't think about that. You know, it's not for everybody. Clearly. Oh, no, not absolutely not. <laughs> but I, I think there's a whole demographic of people who would love it and they just don't think about it because they think it's not for me. Right. The people I've seen on airplanes don't look like me. So it's not for me, but it could be. Yeah, no, absolutely. The nice, the nice thing about today's technology and stuff like that is you can look at blogs, you can look at Instagram posts, all of that stuff and find out more information about our job and realize that it's not just, you know, passing out peanuts and handing out Cokes. Like we keep saying and joking about that. It's about safety. It's about seeing the world. It's about, you know, having this lifestyle and not really this job. You know, they always say, you know, do something that you love to do. And this is absolutely something that I love to do. And to be able to to do it with people that I like to do is awesome, too. Well, maybe I'll consider that as a second career, Kosha. There you go. Absolutely. When, I, when I'm done doing the nonprofit thing, I will, like, apply. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. You could do that. Yeah. In the meantime, I'll just hope that Mike is on my flight next. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, me too. I will hope that, yes. Your passengers are lucky to have you. I can tell uh, you. Thank you. So our last question is about what we call, or, it's not what, it's not our word. It's a natural <laughs> word. <laughs> I'm like, we came up with this word. Yeah, uh, no, no. <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a word in linguistics and in psychology. It's familect. And it's essentially dialect within families. Can you give examples of familect in your life where you use certain words or phrases that only your small group of people would know? And if I walked in the room, I'd be like, what the heck? Uh, I think one of my favorite words that we use is, is deadheading. And every- Is that, who is we when you talk oh, about- Oh, I'm sorry. So um, like anybody in the airline industry. Oh, so this is like a work family. Yeah. Deadheading. Deadheading, which is you are going from point A to point B and you are technically working, but you're getting paid as a passenger. So you have a seat as a passenger. You're getting paid the same amount as you're working, but you're not actually, yeah, you're not actually working. So you're not, you know, doing the daily flight attendant duties or roles you're just getting from point a to point b so you can get set up for your next job uh, of course that was that pilot that didn't want to sit next to me oh my and... god <laughs> it's a good story it's funny we were on an airline that you can pick like you can sit wherever right you don't have an assigned seat her our, my nephew was less than two so he was a lap child he was a lap child and he was in this like crawling all over very physical like he was like 
a scarf at one point. He was on her head. <laughs> and she's trying to just wrangle him. And this pilot comes through, but he is a passenger. The flight attendant was so sweet. He, she was like, oh, here's a window seat is next to shield. She has a window seat. And there was also a, on the bulkhead, there was a middle bulkhead seat. So the bulkhead, everyone loves the bulkhead, but I'm like in the middle, you, you don't have anywhere to put your feet, you right. can't put your bag anywhere. He goes, oh, she, she needs that seat for the baby. I'll sit up there. <laughs> <laughs> that was the nicest way possible to say. Absolutely not. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> he was so great. I look at Shilshi. I was like, he just didn't want to sit by you. Yep. Shilshi was like, I don't even want to sit next to my two-year-old. I don't blame him. I'm sorry. You're wearing your kid as a scarf right now. I'm going to take the middle, bro. I'm going to go up there. Here and go sit up there. I would do that. I don't even want to sit next to my kid. I don't blame some some pilot who's probably, like you said, deadheading, right. getting ready to go somewhere or getting off a shift. I'm like, I just want to go home. It would be hilarious if she, if Shayla, she was like, oh, there's a middle seat up there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so that. so do do you get treated shitty when you're deadheading because the other flight attendants are like I'm working you're just sitting here being a passenger no it's definitely a lot of respect the flight attendant community and technically pilot community as well but more so flight attendant community is such a small close-knit like we said um you know it's it's a very very small lucrative position to have that everybody, no matter what airline that you're on, will treat everybody with respect and they'll treat everybody like their peers. So sometimes I'll take a different airline than my own and we're able to do that. And I'll just say, hey, I'm like, I'm a flight attendant for blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh my gosh, what do you need? Like, what can I do for you? And it's, it's crazy because sometimes I'll go on the same flights that my friends are on and I'll introduce myself and get treated like royalty. And they're like, how did you just do that? And it's just, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird close knit group. And everybody knows the ins and outs of big, being a flight attendant and what it entails and knows that people are absolutely crazy. So just respect each other. And that's our one time to just kind of relax on a plane and not have to worry about anything. If you gotten like, if you gotten spit on or harassed or getting your butt smacked or something, you're going to be real nice to yeah. the other people who are your flight attendants for your flight. Cause you're like, I know how bad it is. Right. Can be. Oh, absolutely. And that's the first thing I'll say too. Like, if you need anything at all, please let me know because I will always step in for anybody because we're all like a little small family. Yeah. Well, and I imagine too, it's like everybody at some point in their career will be doing that everybody will deadhead somewhere. Um, and so it's like, there's not this like, oh, I am that, right? Like there's no attitude about it because one day you're going to be on the other side of that. Right. Right. And you're going to want people to be nice to you when you are flying. And, you know, and you're right. It is a little bit of a, um, a siblinghood, like, hey, we're all in this together and this could easily be me. And it has been me doing your job. Yep. In fact, I'm flying as a passenger to go and do your job on another flight, <laughs> exactly. you know? <laughs> Where you're going to be deadheading to the next place, so. Exactly. 
always, always pack a bathing suit, no matter what. That is also one of my big advice. If you're going to be. That's your advice for every place. Yes. That's good advice for us all. For real. That is good advice for us all. Yes. Always pack a bathing suit, no matter what. You never know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing with us, for for giving us a little bit of like the ins and outs of the industry. That's very cool. Um, I'm going to use you as a reference in the next 15 years when I'm like, I am ready to become a flight attendant. Of course, just give me a call whenever you <laughs> are, whenever you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about this. Like, they'll so be like, <laughs> sit down. Like if you would need anyone. <laughs> I was just thinking about like, if someone gave me a cap, I'd be like, you really want to do this right now? <laughs> <laughs> you want to go? Here's the thing. Shil, she has said that to me over like, the last breadstick like well i mean that's the last breadstick let's be real i probably would have done the same thing <laughs> right <laughs> but thank you for your time and your insight and sharing what it's like to be a straight guy in the industry i think um the more we share these stories the more people understand each other so awesome well thank you so much again for having me i appreciate it travel safe my friends <laughs>